Best of luck this weekend. All right. Cougar, let me ask you a question. Go on. Do you actually want me to win? I want you to win and I know you will win. That's what I'm talking about. Respect. No hesitation. You, no right? hesitation. Well, we're into Ruiz Joshua silly season now, aren't we? So it's probably worth me starting the podcast by reminding people that on June 1st in Madison Square Garden, Anthony Joshua actually lost to Andy Ruiz. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised too. I I almost can't believe it myself. Um, It's almost as if I didn't see it with my own two eyes. But yes, Andy Ruiz is actually the world champion in this fight. Worth remembering that because it seems no one from the kind of Hearn side of the line seems to believe that. And it's strange because at the one time when Anthony Joshua really needs to switch on and focus and understand that he might end up in a very dark place if this goes wrong, all the words coming out of his mouth are... (laughs) I don't even know what the word for it is. Bullshit's probably, it's probably the most appropriate one. It's all bullshit. And everyone knows, like, if you've lost at something, if you've had your ass handed to you at anything, the last thing you want to do is be talking tough. Now, whatever the bookies say about Joshua being favourite, and he might be, he's in a very scary place. If you go back to everything Ruiz has said since the fight, the fact that he was overlooked initially was the fuel that fired him up before. So even if Ruiz has been complacent up until this point, I'm not saying he hasn't been. I'm not saying he has been. Nothing will snap you out of that quicker than someone disrespecting your greatest ever achievement. Because now you're saying to Ruiz, do it again. Not only you say, this isn't, this isn't Haseem Rackman. This isn't Oliver McCall. This is Andy Ruiz, a guy who can legitimately box. This is a guy who has hurt Joshua multiple times. A man who took Joshua's soul. Remember that. Go back and Google images of Joshua Ruiz, that first fight. And you notice that whenever Joshua's in trouble, he folds over. He's, he's all over the place. He's bent double. You know, he's almost using his forehead to clean the canvas at some points. And then you contrast that with guys who have struggled before, guys like Frank Bruno. Frank Bruno never. Frank Bruno was strong, even when he couldn't move his arms to defend himself. Frank stood tall, and Frank was always stopped, stood tall. A bit confused as to why it was stopped, but he stood tall. And that's why we like Frank, because Frank was a legit tough guy. That wasn't, that wasn't a pretend scenario there. Now we've got this situation where we've been fed the spin, We've been fed the rubbish and they're stacking the, card, they're stacking the cards in their favour as, as we knew they would. So the first thing that worried me was that Steve Gray was going to be a judge. Why does that worry me? If anyone can think back, I think it was Steve Gray that scored Joshua Parker 118-110 in favour of, of Joshua. I knew you said Parker then, sorry. But you're scoring that fight 118-110. 
in a fight where Parker wasn't allowed to work on the inside and Joshua really didn't do much to hurt him either. So call that one judge for Joshua. And even if the other two are meant to be neutral, but there, there's already one scorecard in his favour, which now tells Ruiz he might actually have to stop Joshua. He's not going to get the decision. But I believe that was true in the first fight. So that's the first thing that worries me. Because I, I think Steve Gray's poor at most things. He's not very good. He, he's the guy in matchroom cards that stops things too soon or lets it go on too long. He just doesn't have a good sense of what boxing is. Just a guy who, like most of these middle-aged men, loves a bit of a jolly to be away from his family and friends and just live it up for a week and be, be famous and a superstar, I imagine. But I'm also worried by the choice of referee. I think it's Louis Pabon, who is notorious for just basically being crap. That's how I can do it. He, he, he's a guy who will, he won't let the smaller fighters work on the inside. And I hope Team Ruiz registered their protests about this. And I hope, and if I, if I was Team Ruiz, I'd start conditioning the judges and the refs to say, look, you know, you need to ref this fairly. Andy Ruiz has to be allowed to box on the inside. You can't be overzealous in trying to police what happens on the inside. And then you also have to let the judges know, especially that Steve Gray, I'd be playing on his mind saying, look, we know what you did last time. Yeah. We'll be watching you. If your scorecard's off, I mean, you'll be held to account. And I think as fans, we should do that because it doesn't strike me as being the best set of judges, in my opinion, nor is it the best set of officials. And it leaves me thinking, and if I'm in Ruiz's team right now, I'm saying, just knock this guy out. Let's take it out the ref's hands. Let's take it out the judge's hands. The other thing I still struggle with is why Joshua lost all the weight. Now, I go back to the Olympics of 2012. Yeah, he was gifted a lot of decisions. But the thing we need to remember about that Olympics was Joshua looked spent in a third round of virtually every one of those fights. His tank just seems to run empty. And it doesn't seem to matter how long the rounds are. He's, his tank seems to run empty whenever someone stands up to him. So it'll be intriguing to see what happens if Ruiz can just withstand whatever it is Joshua's got planned up his sleeve until round five, round six, round seven. Because I think between round five and round eight is when you can take Joshua out. It's almost like it takes him three rounds to get his second wind. So that's the time. So I almost meant, you know, you might lose the first three rounds, win a couple, and then you've really got to step on Joshua when his gas tank starts to empty, ripping those body shots, uppercuts. And I think Ruiz must have, he must have thought this through because... This fight's so winnable for him, but we're at that point, I guess, where we're all getting nervous and we're thinking, is Joshua better than he could be? But I think we've seen the best Joshua. I think the guy we saw against Vladimir Klitschko is as good as Anthony Joshua can ever be. And that Vladimir Klitschko was a guy that had been sat on a sofa, doing his paddleboard, eating in restaurants in Hollywood, Florida, for nearly two years, at 42 years old. Had all the money in the world, had proven himself, had nothing to prove in that fight with Joshua. Here you have a man in Ruiz who wants to pull him off that throne and say, I'm number one now. Completely different proposition in my eyes. And I don't know if Joshua's really spiritually equipped for that. So I'm still leaning towards Ruiz in this fight. I just think the speed, and if he can do something different, if he can just throw a couple of different shots, offset his timing a little bit, 
and just give Joshua something that his sparring partner's kind of given him. I think that will be enough to chip away at the confidence. And then after that, you'll get the old Joshua out. And that's what Ruiz has to do. Ruiz has to get to the old Joshua. He's got to peel all these layers away. All that 12 weeks of training and pad work and that, that knobhead Timothy Moten and all this sort of stuff. Just peel those layers away until we get Joshua laid bare. And then let's see what's really there. And while that's the main event, I think the real main event is further down on the card. And I, you know, you know what I'm like. I just like to let the facts speak for themselves. This fight was obviously added last week quite late. Uh, Marius Wack is the opponent. Who else was in the running uh, alongside Marius Wack? Not many. Not many. Joey Dueco. Um, oh, I forgot his name. Yeah, a couple. But Wack, Wack, was, Wack was actually ready to fight in Monaco. And we selected him for this fight. Ed, how do you feel about Dylan White actually on the card fighting now with a lot of stuff still kind of hanging over him? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think really it's a case of he's clear to fight, he's not suspended, he's got to resume his career. So it's frustrating that I can't stand here with a statement from UCAD, but what I can tell you is, is that he's been through that process, he's been cleared to fight, he's not banned, he's not suspended, you have to let him get on with his career. So, you know, he last boxed in July, He's ready to go. He's been training hard. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing him back in the ring. I'll be honest with you guys. I don't believe I'd have to train hard for Marius Vack. I don't. I don't think anyone listening to this would have to train hard for Marius Vack. I think you could sneeze or cough and it would be a stoppage win for you. Yes, he went the distance with Vladimir, but that was seven years ago. And... That was one of those negative performances where he just didn't want to get knocked out, right? That's the reality of it. Dillian White fighting Marius Vack makes no sense on any level. Number one, this is a guy who says he wants to fight Deontay Wilder for a world title. Now you're fighting a guy that got run over and reversed over by Martin Bacoli. You were a pay-per-view fighter at one point. Now you're an undercard fighter. And none of this makes any sense because we're not teasing a Joshua Dillian fight here. There's no build up to that in fact you imagine the guys that Sky would have rather Dillian headlined a show in the UK on pay-per-view in support of this as well and it leads me to draw this conclusion the Hearns are doing what they normally do they're letting the governing bodies know nothing's going to get in the way of match from making money nothing and the British board on on the horns of a dilemma because what do you do? Your biggest source of income right now is probably Matchroom. Do you risk upsetting that and them having shows here, there and everywhere and all the big stars end up fighting in different countries and you lose all that money? Do you risk that? Or do you just let them do what they want, knowing that it makes you wealthier? I don't know the answer to that. I really don't know where their thinking is. But one thing I am confident of is Dillian White can't fight in the British ring at the moment. Otherwise, he would have done. So it will be interesting to see what the next move is. And it's also disappointing that not one person has asked Eddie Hearn one very simple question. Has the B sample been tested? We're six months in. Has the B sample been tested? If it has, what was the result? If it hasn't, why has it not been tested? 
Fair play to the lawyer that found the loophole here, but it's created a very worrying precedent. And what it's basically said is, if you're a British boxer and the board sanction you or the board is suspicious of you, just don't fight here. You know, we we had Isaac Chamberlain on the podcast. He said, look, Ted Bammy still has a managerial contract over me, therefore I won't fight in the United Kingdom until that contract lapses. Fair play to him. You know, we're now beginning to realise the governing body has no teeth because boxing's not a sport that's constrained by geography. So it doesn't matter whether I think Dillian did it or not. I don't even have an opinion anymore. I really don't. This is more about the sport of boxing. And this is one of those deflating moments when you realise, actually, money's more important than the integrity of the sport. But I'm not going to knock Dillian because he could break his hand tomorrow and never box again. And none of us are going to feed his family. So he's doing what he thinks is right for him. And and fair play for that. This isn't Dillian's fault. Dillian's just walking through the loopholes people have opened up for him. Fine. My issue is with Hearn because this is a card that has, I repeat, four drug cheats out of 10 heavyweights boxing. That's just the ones we know about. You know, those are the ones we can point to and say, you have been caught. We don't know about the rest of these guys. Do I really think Marius Vax clean coming in? I'd wonder because his last few performances haven't indicated he's at the level where he should be on a card like this. So, it's another black mark for boxing. It's disappointing. This whole Saudi thing, as much as Hearn tries to spin it as a great new opportunity in a wild new frontier, it feels a lot like Azul Nadir running off to North Cyprus. And for people who don't know who Azul Nadir is, he was a businessman in this country and he was wanted in connection with a company called Polypec that went under. And I think there were some irregularities and money laundering he was involved in. So all he did was fly to Northern Cyprus. Britain doesn't recognise Northern Cyprus. Therefore, it couldn't ask for extradition from a country it couldn't recognise. And Azul Nadir stayed there relatively drama-free for as long as he wanted Till he missed the UK, came back, served three years. But by then he had done everything he needed to do. And I don't think the situation is any different. You know, Hearn has just said, look, I'll take my fighters abroad. You, you really want to start making my life hell? There you go, British board. Look at all the money you're missing out on by the show not being there. And this is where boxing's going. And you've got to give Hearn his due for becoming that powerful that People are afraid to challenge him. Coogan can't challenge him. The board can't challenge him. Seemingly Sky can't challenge him. He's put himself in this position where I don't think at the moment there's a losing position for Hearn. Maybe if Joshua gets sparked out, then that significantly weakens his position because his selling point to the zone was I'm bringing you Joshua, a guy who will reign supreme for a decade. And right now his career is in tatters and Hearn must be scared. I would be. That's my chief asset. But overall, this is the card that my moral conscience says to everyone, stream it. Don't pay for it. Don't get your friends around and all put money in for it because you're advocating this kind of behavior. The more we support this kind of behavior, the more it will carry on. Don't be selfish and say, I'll do what I want to do. I don't care. Because if you don't care, then don't complain. There are far too many people complaining about what goes on in boxing, but they're still supporting the product. I think that's the ultimate height of stupidity. If you're still supporting the product that you know is dirty and it's tainted, 
And actually, there are real-life consequences. You know, the death of Patrick Day might be attributable to drugs. We don't know. But anything that brings about that risk and you're supporting it, shame on you. You know, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'll be glad when the circus is done. And this is why I want Andrew Ruiz to win. Because I think this will clean up a lot of the rubbish that exists on the, particularly on the matchroom side of boxing. But they're by no means the only ones. But we need to clean this up once and for all. We can't have guys, you know, serving six-month bans for growth hormone, EPO, GW1516, testosterone, and everything else in between. Guys who can go away for two years off an androlone finding and all this. It's absolutely insane. That card on Saturday night is going to resemble the 100 meters in the Olympic final. Where you're just looking at everyone going, I think every one of these bastards is dirty. And that's sad. That's legitimately sad. But this is where boxing is. And this is the boxing you guys wanted because you refused to stand up to it. When we warned that this was coming, people refused to stand up to it. Now the choice is yours. Don't press that red button. Don't sign up for it. Don't do anything. Just find a friend with an IPTV box. Stream the shit out of this. Give Hearn the black eye he deserves because that's the only way you hurt Eddie Hearn. Is in the pockets. But thanks, guys. Look, just th- this was a quick one just to share some views on on Joshua Ruiz. And whoa, 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 whoa. Ha. We didn't touch on the thing that concerned me, actually. But let's just do that now real quick. Things that Anthony said was this time that the sparring was a lot more geared towards the fight itself. Rather than just doing rounds, it was uh, hard rounds, is that a different approach to what you did in the past? It's, I think it's the change of opponent created the issue. Um, there's not too many Andy Ruiz out there in heavyweight boxing, you know, explosive, technically good sound, and, you know, with four or five weeks' notice, you do what you can, but it's never as, as structured as it would be over a 12-week training camp where you know from the get-go who, you box, who he's boxing and stuff, and you can plan, and, and you know, you're planning, you know, 20 weeks before on on who you bring in, who you bringing in, who would work best, who who wouldn't and stuff. No, you know, no real notice in terms of sparring partners to change for Ruiz. But at the same time, you know, there's one or two that came in that were good, and it's just a continuation of that. There's lots of good fighters that AJ sparred with over the last few years. All of that will will give them the experience. So there's there's all kinds of nuggets I could pick out of there, but the key thing I wanted to pick out was when McCracken said. You have 20 weeks to work out who the sparring partners are. Why is that interesting? Because it tells you that they plan Joshua's fights well in advance. They know exactly who they're fighting. And what was scary for them was actually that they hadn't expected to fight Ruiz and they definitely hadn't expected him to have a rematch. They weren't prepared for it. They probably still aren't prepared for it because Joshua seemingly needs a year to prepare for people. And so we can conclude two things. One, that the opponents are known well in advance. Two, one opponent flows into another. So you can have a soft opponent for you to prepare for the harder opponent. So it'll be interesting to see who they got lined up for Andy Ruiz once this fight's over, win, lose, or draw. Would it be a trilogy? Maybe, depending on the outcome of the second fight. Or would it be a softer defense? Would it even be a Dillian fight? You know, just cash out on it now before... You lose complete value. And I know Hearn must be smarting from the loss of the Amir Khan v. Kell Brook money. The other things to pick up on are 
Why would you even be having this conversation after having been in each other's company since 2010? You're now having the heart-to-heart that says things need to change? So what was happening before? Weren't they targeting the sparring to improve his weaknesses or to exploit the opponent's weakness? Weren't they getting sparring partners to mimic the opponent's style? What were they actually doing? Just literally having Joshua in there going, you just do this, you just do that. Which indicates to me that Joshua was still learning on the job. If you can't even get sparring partners to, to do those sorts of things, I know they've had Malik Scott in there, he can do that. And the conclusion I draw is that McCracken was pretty clueless. You know, with Froch you can get away with that because Froch can kind of box. He's technically proficient enough. He, he's boxed in the world championship, so he's done it at a high level as an amateur. Rock solid chin, rock solid fitness. So you can get away with being an average trainer with someone special like Carl Froch. You can't with Joshua because there are too many holes. And you've got to find a way to plug as many of them as you can without doing too much damage to him. I think if Joshua loses this fight, you've got to question why, why he would need McCracken. I don't think McCracken works for him anymore. I don't think he ever did. And I think it just took a stern test for us to realise that. But you got to draw your own conclusions. Let me know what you think. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Remember, Instagram at Highfield Boxing, Twitter at Highfield Boxing. Please like, share, retweet, review. Keep, no, don't just listen and then hit that, that pink heart on, on Twitter. No, please retweet it. Or share your views. Tell me what, where I'm right. Tell me where I'm wrong. Pull me up on stuff that I've said. Have an opinion. Let's, let's up the engagement because the thing that makes it fun to do a podcast is being able to respond to what the boxing fans are talking about and what the boxing fans are thinking about. That's the enjoyment. Me just spouting off and shooting my opinions out, <laughs> you know, I do that every day of my life. It's not that appealing to me. So please, guys, let's make this interactive. Thanks so much and take care.